Colossians chapter 3. Get back into our letter here. All right, you can go to that next slide. We'll start with this crazy outfit I saw. You can tell a lot about somebody by the way they're dressed, by what they are wearing. You can tell a lot about what somebody's into or the things that they like, the hobbies they have, the stuff they want to do by what they wear. I unfortunately have a friend who is a huge Atlanta Braves fan, and for the last week he has been annoyingly just living in Atlanta Braves gear. Uh, sweatshirts, hoodies, beanies, jerseys, shorts. He even has a pair of Atlanta Braves shoes. Super (laughs) annoying. Uh, And that reveals a lot about him. He's trying to reveal to his friends, he's trying to just kind of alert everyone around him that not only is he a baseball fan, but he is an Atlanta Braves fan as well. I also think that reveals a little bit about his discernment level being quite low. Um, I think he needs wisdom. Join me in praying for my friend. Um, I have a picture too. I don't know if we're struggling with the pictures or not, but I googled Atlanta Braves fan, and I would never put it up here except that I think this guy looks like me. Maybe this isn't going to work. Is it? Is it fighting you, Peter? Just tell me to move on if it is. I just wanted to show it because everybody was like, oh, it looks like you. Not this, the next one. The next one. That does not, if that looks like me, I quit. We're, we're done. Uh, all right, I'm going to just move past it. I don't know what's, just click the button. So here's the thing, it doesn't work like that. Do you think that guy looks like me? Everybody was like, it looks just like you. All right, take it. Next slide. I don't even like that guy. I don't, I don't like the Braves. I'll never like the Braves. I'll never want anything to do with supporting the Braves. Ugh, so bad. Uh, anyway, you can tell a lot about a person by what they wear. A guy doesn't always have to dress like this to sort of communicate that he's into golf. Uh, you don't have to wear those kinds of pants or whatever. A Titleist hat usually communicates that. Travis Matthews, Polo, whatever, just kind of lets the world know, maybe I'm not the best golfer, but I'm at least into golf. Communicate a lot and tell a lot about someone by what they wear. A Carhartt shirts, way before they were cool, were usually worn by dudes who did construction or were in the trades. I've got millions of Carhartt shirts because I was a construction guy for a long, long time. Uh, I think that guy does look like me, just saying. <laughs> me and that dude look a lot alike. Uh, before they were cool, like you, you wore that, and people were like, oh, this guy's probably a carpenter or a dude who's in the trades. You can tell a lot about somebody by what they wear. Cowboys dress differently than surfers. Um, most surfers don't like sport a giant belt buckle or, or cowboy boots. I found this ridiculous picture of a dude with a, I don't think it's real, but whatever. Just a big belt buckle. Pretty sure that's photoshopped. Anyway, what people wear, it just says a lot about them. Sports teams they like. 
hobbies they have, places they've been, maybe even where they live. Let me say it this way. Who you are and what you're into, it shows up in the way that you live. It shows up in the way that you present who you are to the people around you. You're going to have a certain wardrobe. When I was eight, I wanted to be the karate kid, so I wore a lot of karate stuff. Okay? It's true. No picture. Uh, When I was in junior high and got into skating in high school, I wore like skater stuff. Uh, Again, when I was working construction, wore a lot of Carhartt gear. You just, you wear and you kind of represent the things that you're into. Your wardrobe tells us a lot about who you are. As we get back into Colossians chapter 3 this morning, I want to let Paul tell us about the Christian wardrobe. I want to let him sort of help us understand what it looks like. Don't panic. It's not suits for the dudes and, you know, dresses for the girls. It's not actually about what you wear at all. The Christian wardrobe, though, is recognizable. It does look a certain way. People should be able to recognize one thing about you when you're dressed the way that Paul describes you should be able to say, you know what, I, I think that person's a Christian. I can tell by the way that they're living that, they, that they're a Christian, that they follow Christ, and that their life is very different from everyone else's. So if you're a, a young believer and you're wondering, like, yeah, what does that look like? What does the Christian life look like? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? Help, like, what, what am I supposed to do? Two weeks ago, we started to look at this from Colossians chapter 3. We got a glimpse of a really important principle. If we're truly a Christian and we have new life in Christ, then we're called, at the beginning of chapter 3, we're called to put our mind on things above. That's where it begins. That's where following Christ and living like a Christian begins. We need to watch where we're going. We need to stay focused on that which is really important. Not the things that the world says, are important, but the things that God and his word says, these are important. This is what I want you to focus on. We're to fill our minds with the right truths. God's word teaches us for the Christian that some things need to stop. And when we become a Christian, some things need to start. Some things just we need to let go of and we need to replace them with new ways of living. And Paul began with the sins that need to go. Again, two weeks ago, we talked about sins of the mind and sins of the mouth and sins of the heart. Those need to stop. For those who are following Christ, we just can't live that way. And Paul uses strong words, put them to death. Put this stuff away from you, like permanently in lots of distance. That's the stuff that we're sort of taking off, if we're thinking about the wardrobe, that's the wardrobe that needs to go. What about how we're supposed to live? What, what replaces those things? Again, Christians have a wardrobe too. As we put sins to death, we replace that sinful living with righteousness or living like Christ or God-approved living, however you want to think about that. We replace our sin with living in the way that God tells us to. And that's our big idea. It's our big idea for this morning, Christian, the wardrobe for the Christian. It replaces sinful living with living like our Savior. 
We're going to start in verse 12 and kind of pick up where we left off. This is God's word, Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. As we transition to this next section about what it is that we're to put on, I just I don't want us to miss how Paul describes the believer. In verse 12, Paul's description is so helpful if we understand it. It's, it's meant to be like soothing words after what he just said. Like we're to take off these sins and put them to death and put them away. But that's hard to do. How can we do that? Like I need help in that. We can't do it on our own. We're going to need God's help. And Paul reminds us that who we are in Christ, who we are in our relationship with God, that we, of course, have his help. Each of those titles is important. Chosen ones and holy and beloved, each one matter a lot. All three were an honored kind of Old Testament name for Israel. And now Paul makes this connection. It's not just Israel, but it's you, Colossians, that are the same way. And for us, Again, we just keep making the application, not just God's people, Israel, not just the Colossians, but us today too, as believers, we are chosen, holy, beloved. And those, again, so important. Deuteronomy chapter 7, this is how God talks about Israel. He says, it's not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. Not, Not for that reason that he chose you. You were actually the fewest that's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that he chose you. God chose them because of his love. He chose those believers in Colossae because of his love for them. It's the same for you. If you're a Christian, if you've put your faith in the gospel, God chose you as well. And and holy, you're to be holy. Just as Israel was called to be that set-apart people, For all the nations living around them, they were to be this distinct people group so that the people would look at them and go, oh, huh, interesting. You live very differently than than we do. Why is that? So those people could point them to, to, to God, that they would know that God is real and that they would turn to him as well. We have that same calling. We're to live holy. We're to live sanctified lives big word alert, sanctified. We're, we're to live in a way that this, you know, the sins that we used to participate in before Christ are diminishing. We're living more like Christ. We're growing to be more like him. So we're chosen and we're holy and we're also this beloved. What a great reminder of who we are in Christ, his beloved. 
It's kind of like a, a box of, I don't know, puzzle pieces, each one different in shape and color. But we need each one to see the whole picture. We need each description to see who we really are in Christ. So helpful to really kind of give us this motivation in who we are. These titles do that. They motivate a junior high aged believer. They motivate an adult aged believer to put to death the old self. They motivate us to to put on this new wardrobe. Virtues that we're called to put on, we're actually commanded to put these on. And they stand in such stark contrast to the old life. They're so different than that old sinful life, those sins that we're commanded to to put to death. These must be put on, verse 12. Why do we have to be told to put them on? So important, and I want you to hear this. These don't happen naturally. What Paul's going to say here in, in verse 12, these aren't in us normally. As we take off the old self, it's not like taking off a big puffy wintered coat and all these are under there already. They're not there. We have to do the work to put these on. We need God's help also to put these on. So what does this spiritual wardrobe look like? I'm going to give them all to you at once here, just kind of a, a, a big, you know, once, once for all shot here. But we'll just go through them quickly. It begins here with a compassionate heart. All these are in verse 12. Compassionate heart. That's the pit of the stomach. That's what Paul's talking about. It's a place where emotion is felt. Compassion. Um, compassion was lacking in the time of the Colossians. I'll say it that way. They lived in a world that had no mercy. Compassion just wasn't a normal expression. If you were sick or hurt or disabled or old or mentally ill, you were often ignored. Uh, You were often discarded. You're just not important. You don't benefit the society, or you don't benefit the family, and so we're just going to kind of push you off to the side. Our world is not all that different. Compassion doesn't come naturally. So to have this, reflect this compassionate heart, I would just give you this word. It's about being tender. It's a tenderness at the deepest level of who you are, tender in everything that you do. As a Christian, you live this way. Be merciful. Be sympathetic for those who need it. That's living as a compassionate person. And I want to make sure we understand it too as we think about all of these sort of characteristics, especially here with compassionate heart, that isn't just being compassionate towards those who it might be a little easier to show that. Okay? It isn't just being compassionate, like nice, to your grandma. Okay? Everybody can be nice and compassionate to their grandma. This is that attitude towards everyone. Even those people that you'd prefer just to you know, walk a mile out of your way to not see. It's, it's this mercy, this compassion, this care in the way you talk, in the way that you act towards everyone. Okay, That's the first piece. Number two, kindness. Kindness, we're to put on kindness. The common characteristic of most people is not 
kindness. It's probably, arguably, harshness. That's a more common characteristic with most people. Without Christ, we're short with others. Without Christ, we're, we're pretty much unpleasant, like just not being kind to each other. We're rough in the way we speak to each other, the, what, sort of just coarse in the way that we treat each other. We lack kindness. And I think it's common for that harshness to increase the closer somebody gets to you. Harshness is far more common, let me say it that way, with, with people that we know really well, close friends, family members. We often treat those people the worst. It's not true for everyone, but for most, without Christ, it's a common experience. People lack kindness. Paul says, Christian, you need to put on kindness. It's a, a lovely quality. It's a word that describes the removal of bitterness, if that helps you. Um, it's the word Jesus used to describe his yoke, that his yoke was easy, that it was kind. It's kind of the same word there, his burden light in Matthew 11.30. No harshness to what Christ calls us to do, the way he treats us. Harshness is our natural response, but instead we're to put on kindness. Paul says our character, our mindset should be one of being generous, uh, a genuine care for everybody. I want to say this too, now kind of coming to the other side of that coin. Yes, we need to treat everybody that way, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're best friends with everyone. We're still discerning about who's influencing us and who we're hanging around. We need that level of discernment. Kindness doesn't mean I'm best friends with every single person no matter what, but it does mean I'm kind to everyone no matter what. No matter the the influence they might have on my life or not, I'm still called to be kind. Got it? Number three. Third piece of the wardrobe, humility, still verse 12. Obviously, this one is not natural without the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Humility just doesn't exist. Uh, Greeks never use that word for themselves. They didn't have a word in their vocabulary for humility. It was always in connection to an insult. It was never a good thing. The word that they had for it, it was, it was always negative and but it's interesting how the gospel just flips that. No longer an insult. It's not only a, an incredible gift, but a, a great way that we're called to live. We're to treat one another with humility. Philippians 2.3, such an important verse. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul goes on to talk about Christ, our perfect example in humility. We're called to be like him. We're called to put on humility. Don't confuse humility either. It isn't thinking poorly of yourself. It isn't putting yourself down all the time. It isn't some groveling life of just excessively serving everyone around you. That's not what Paul says. It's, all, it's thinking better about other people around you. Humility is considering those People, it's the absence of always exalting you. It's the, it's the fight against walking into a room and immediately going, look at this, I'm the most important person here. 
That's incredible. We don't, we don't do that. I don't need to promote myself like that. I need to consider the interests of others. No more arrogant pride. Proverbs 27.2, let another praise you, not your own mouth. Let a stranger praise you, build you up, not your own lips. Humility is the right hoodie for every believer. It's the right necessary part of the wardrobe that every believer needs. You don't need to boast about yourself because you understand who God is and what he's done for you. And that honestly, without him, you're not that big a deal. You're nothing. You're not that important. You have not any, I mean, really nothing to boast about if it wasn't for Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 17, Paul says it elsewhere. Let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. For it's not the one who commends himself who's approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Fourth piece of the wardrobe, meekness. Meekness, Paul says there, still verse 12. We often confuse meekness with weakness. We think being meek is like being a, a doormat that... Meekness is, I just lay down and let people walk all over me. That's what I'm supposed to do constantly. That's not what it is. Meekness is so different from that. It's, it's gentleness with others, yes, but it's strength under control. It's somebody who, who has strength and authority and power, but it's under control. That's, that's the meek person. Moses was described that way in Numbers 12. It said he was very meek more than anyone else, but Moses was hardly a doormat. He could act decisively and often did. Moses was strong when he had to be. He was a powerful person, but he was controlled by God. He was used by God. He demonstrated a lot of self-control. Not easy to live self-control, but listen, we're called to, we're commanded to, to, to live with self-control. Despite what's happening, despite the circumstances around us, despite how right I am and how wrong that person is, or despite how badly that person's treated me, or whatever it is, we are called to wear self-control, meekness. Number five, last, second to last piece of the garment here, patience. This is long-suffering, long-suffering in the face of insult, in the face of injury. Paul kind of trying to cover all of it. It's, it's more than just going through a difficult time, ignoring some difficult circumstance. We know that we live in a world full of sinful people, and we also are sinful still ourselves. Whether we're at school or church or on a team or whatever, doesn't matter if it's a Christian school or club or whatever, youth group, we are around people who don't always respond perfectly right? We too are capable of not maybe saying the thing that we wish we would have said. We, we, we in, insult each other. We, we injure each other. Feelings are hurt. Lines are crossed, but we are to be patient. Knowing who we are in Christ, knowing what truly matters, we're called to be patient towards all people. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. We're to be long-suffering in the face of those insults and injuries that we experience. 
patience, something we def, def, definitely and desperately need. So a tough wardrobe to put on every day, but one that we're called to. It's interesting as we think about this wardrobe and even before we get to the last one of forgiveness, I, I just think about, I don't know how often, and maybe you can relate to this. You've gotten dressed to go to church or go to school or whatever, and you look in the mirror and you're like, this looks great. I love what I'm wearing. It's perfect. And then your mom walks in and is like, no, no, absolutely not. Change. You have three minutes. Let's go. Right? That's happened. And you're like, well, I thought my wardrobe looked great. I thought it was fine. It's funny how this wardrobe that we're called to put on as a Christian, it would be easy to wear if it was just us. If it was just us alone, not anybody else around us, this wardrobe would be much simpler to put on and wear every day. Someone like, you know, your mom or whoever messes up that actual wardrobe for you. Same is true for our spiritual wardrobe. Other people make it much harder to put on. So easy to wear if we didn't have to interact with people. I could be compassionate and kind and humble. I could be meek. I could be patient if it was just me. I'd knock those out of the park. So would you. As we think about this wardrobe, it's, it's important to look at it and say, it would be easy to just like think about those characteristics It's much harder to actually do them, much harder to actually put them on. We have to work hard at it. That's why Paul's saying this isn't the way it works. You're going to be around other people. It's going to change your relationships. You have to put these on every day. And it's a command, and it's worded in such a way that we know not only do we put it on once, but every day you get up and you put it on again and again And again, and again, and again, you keep putting these on. We're going to get tested and tried every day. We're going to have an opportunity to display this wardrobe every day. And we must put it on and beg God for help to put it on every day. And Paul adds to it, verse 13, that we bear with one another. I think that's where he's he's headed, where he's going. And there's going to be issues. We have to bear with one another. And if there's complaints... We forgive each other just as the Lord's forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Christian wardrobe, if you're wearing it, it's going to promote an opportunity to bear with one another. It's going to make it a little bit easier to do that. The result of, of putting this wardrobe on every day is that you can live with one another and you also need to forgive one another. That's our sixth piece, forgiveness. So important as we live with each other that We understand our our lives interacting all the time, intersecting several times a week that there's going to be a need for forgiveness. It's, again, not always going to be perfect. Part of that wardrobe requires me to be forgiving and get this, be willing to ask for forgiveness. And it's all motivated by the forgiveness we've received in Christ. All of it were to remember when you think to yourself, I'm not forgiving her. No way. Not forgiven him. I can't believe what he said. Paul says, before you do that, remember the forgiveness that you've been recipient of, that you've received from Christ. Helps us think rightly about the forgiveness that we need to demonstrate. 
And I love verse 14 because it helps me think about all of this. Paul writes, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Here's the thing about these garments, these attitudes that we're called to put on every single day. It's love that binds them all together. It's love that keeps them on. It's love that even keeps us living this way. It's possible to have some of these attitudes and not have love, but it's difficult to have love and not display what Paul's talking about here. I just would say it this way. You could circle all six of those and say, just be loving. That's Paul's way of saying, let me make it simple, easy for you. Put on love. A loving person is going to be compassionate. A loving person is going to be kind. A loving person will be humble. A loving person will be meek. A loving person will be patient. A loving person seeks forgiveness. Put on love. Time of the Colossians, no wardrobe could be worn without a belt. It was just, it just wouldn't stay on without the belt. It would be awkward and just weird. And so I love that Paul talks about love being this hugely important piece. Just wear the belt of love. You wear it and you keep wearing it. And again, it's the same language. You just keep putting it on every day, over and over, over and over. I need it today. I'll need it tomorrow. I'm going to need it Tuesday. I need it every single day. Living as a new creation, living this new life in Christ, it calls us to put on a new wardrobe, a new way. Living the Christian life is, is challenging. It's, it's not easy to dress this way every day, but there are a lot of benefits and blessings and gifts of grace that God gives us along the way. But like the Colossians, I think Paul anticipates that every reader will ask, how? Like, that's tough to do that. How can I do that? What can help me put this wardrobe on like this every day. I don't know how to do it. And the answer, verse 15 to 17, I, I think helpful. Paul helps us see that we're to be ruled by the peace of Christ, verse 15. We're to be filled with his word, verse 16. And we're to live representing his name, verse 17. I, I gave you all of those in one shot too. We'll just look at them quickly. For the believer, the peace of Christ is to rule in your heart. When we live that way, it's going to be so much easier to wear the wardrobe. It's going to be a lot easier to to live these characteristics that God expects of us. The peace of Christ must rule in our heart. That's so different than any other kind of peace that you might be thinking of. Jesus said in John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. As a believer, you have access to the peace of Christ. And as a Christian, you're called to let his peace rule in your every day. To let it rule in your heart doesn't mean that life's going to be free from trouble. As nice as that would be, this is different. This is a sense of wholeness or completeness, or I would say it this way, just being satisfied in Christ. 
you're, you're at peace no matter how good or how bad the day might look. Why? Because you're satisfied knowing that God is in control. He, he knows all things. He's powerful. You have peace because of who your God is, his character, his comfort, his care that just comes with a relationship with him. What peace there is in knowing that that's the way it should be. That because of the gospel, the Father's wrath is not on my life any longer. Our relationship is restored. And all the blessings that come with the peace of God are mine. I'm forgiven and accepted and loved. I'm adopted. I'm welcomed. I am his. No longer an enemy. What peace for the believer. Every day, you just need to remind yourself of that. Today looks bad, but what peace I have with the God of all things. What peace is mine because of my relationship with Christ. Let that rule in your heart. Instead of being consumed by worry or anxiety, we we seek his peace. We tell ourselves every day, my God is in control. So fill our lives with peace and fill our life with his word as well. Verse 16, this preaches itself. We we allow God's word to dwell richly in us. You can't download it. There's no like quick way to, to just get this. We must spend time in Scripture to to let it richly dwell in us. It just means that this word must be in my every day. Some moment throughout the day, I need to be turning my attention to his word. Maybe that's five minutes. I don't know. Maybe some of you want to do 30 minutes, whatever. But I'm spending time reading it and studying it and asking questions of it and trying to understand it and reading helpful notes about it and asking my small group leader questions or my youth pastor questions because I want to try to stump him and watch him squirm like you guys love to do. No, not that, but the rest of it. Do that. Read it and love it, but also not just read it to read it, but read it to live it. I want his word to dwell in me richly so that I live it, that I'm doing it. I'm actually submitting and obeying and doing what God's word tells me to do. James 1 and 22, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So fill your life with his peace and your heart with his word and then live in the fullness of his name, representing his name. Such a comprehensive little verse here, verse 17. I think everything, sort of what Paul's been saying is jammed in here. Look at it, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. Word or deed, it's just all of life, isn't it? It's just every single thing, it falls under that category. Everything we say or do is to be done in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Our actions must say it. Our words have to say it too. They say, Jesus is my master, my God, my savior, my Lord, and he can be your Lord too. Jesus, you know, saves me and he can save you. He gave me a new life and he can do the same for you. This is who Jesus 
is. It's what he's done in my life. And he can do the same in yours. And sin just wrecks that. Sin totally obliterates that. When we don't put to death and put off those sins that Paul told us to, the sins of the mind and the mouth and the heart, we're not doing everything in the name of our Savior. We disgrace God's name when we don't replace those sins with the new wardrobe. So many dads have said to their teenage children as they leave the house, and if your parents haven't said this to you yet, I think they will one day, But on your way out, they'll say, hey, don't forget, you represent our family, whatever you're up to tonight. You're a Lennington. You're a Rocco. As you leave our house, you represent us. It's supposed to drive some fear into the heart and mind of that kid. It did for me, for sure. But so much greater than that, a greater calling we have than that, if you're a Christian You represent Christ everywhere you go. Everything you do and you say, you have the name of Jesus attached to you. Paul draws our attention to that. We're this representative of of our Savior. We do everything in his name. It's a high responsibility. But if you'll live that way, I guarantee you, you're longing for that wardrobe much more than the wardrobe we're called to put off. You're looking for that wardrobe, that outfit, much more than the old sinful you. What fullness is ours when we're ruled by his peace and filled with his word and live for his name. If you claim to be a Christian, a short conclusion, this is your wardrobe. This is how you're supposed to look. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that instructs us. It's profitable for teaching, your word is, and it's profitable for reproof and for correction, but profitable mainly for training and righteousness. It does equip us to live in a way that honors you. Father, would you help us to see our need for you? We cannot begin to live this way without you first saving us from our sin and opening our eyes to our need for your gospel. Father, I pray for the students here this morning who are not saved. Help them to understand that without you, their lives will only be filled with the opposite of what you're working in your people, an absence of love. God, would you turn hearts to you this morning? Help those who have put their faith in you for salvation to put on this wardrobe today and tomorrow. Help us to live this way in the week ahead. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.